John, do you suppose you could find me another player? Suppose I could, Bob. Be a pleasure to find Deborah DeYoung. Come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Howdy, Deborah. Hi. Deborah, where do you live? Iowa. In Iowa. Where in Iowa? Lamar's. Where? Lamar's. Lamar's, Iowa. How large is Lamar's, Iowa? About a big 8,000. 8,000 people, all of whom watch The Price is Right. Don't they? Yeah. And they'll all be watching you bid on this next item up for bids on The Price is Right. It's a handy dishwasher. Time now for another episode of Iowa's Meanest Podcast. This is Rock Hard Caucus. I've lost track of episode number, uh, what are we on? Is this 58 or 59? I have no clue. <laughs> I didn't look. Oh, well. We're in the high 50s for sure. Uh, I'm here. I've got Evan and Natalie. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Evan, greet us, please. Oh, hello. Hi. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We will never, ever get better at introducing the show. <laughs> Today we have a guest with us. How should I introduce him? I didn't uh, prepare any remarks here, but I will say that he was the first person to ever dub us Iowa's Meanest Podcast, so this is uh, this is a big get for us. Uh, please welcome to the program, Gavin Aronson. Uh, I'm still waiting for the royalty checks on that. <laughs> By the way. I, I think this is the most excited I've ever been for a guest and the least prepared I've ever been for a guest. <laughs> Would it be mean if I said uh, I'm in the inverse? <laughs> That's fair. What, so you're the least excited? Yeah. I'm very prepared, but not excited at all to speak with you, Gavin. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I did I practice uh, pronouncing your last name. Aronson. I appreciate the you guys' last name, yeah. Yeah. That's all, that's all I need. I know that our other previous guest, Aaron <laughs> Calvin, pronounced your name incorrectly on another podcast, and I didn't want to wow. repeat that uh, disrespect. Again, fucking digging the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because we've been working together for a while, and we never like actually yeah, talked about it. I guess, why would we? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Most of the time, if if it's not introduced like right away, the first time you're talking to someone, it'll never come up until they get it wrong on a podcast. <laughs> I always like Google names and try to get it right, but you know, that's not a guarantee either. Like the like the robotic voices that you know play back. Aronson. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, So, Gavin Aronson, he founded the Iowa Informer. He's also one of the hosts of uh, a fairly new podcast called Iowa Off Kilter. Uh, Is there anything else on your resume that we should get out of the way at the beginning? I I don't know. I used to write for the Ames Tribune. I was a city Mm -hmm. reporter for almost two years. And then before that, I I went to Iowa State Journalism School, did a zine there, Ames Progressive. And then Mm -hmm. I got an internship at the Village Voice. And I worked at Mother Jones for... I don't know, two or three years. That is a pretty extensive... Uh, you've worked a lot of places. I I would consider your employment for Mother Jones to be pretty uh, kind of big, right? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty happy when I got the offer there. Yeah. <laughs> I had one thing I wanted to, to open with. So, as I said before we started recording, Evan and I have both listened to the second episode of Iowa Off Kilter, which was released uh, just a few days ago. Uh, and it, it largely relates to the Van Meter Visitor, a local cryptid of of legend, and uh, <laughs> local cryptids wanted. <laughs> <laughs> local cryptids are waiting for you. Um, <laughs> Slow on the uptake. <laughs> Our Patreon subscribers may have listened to our Halloween episode last year, Rocktober Hardloween Carcass, of which a a segment was uh, dedicated to the Van Meter Visitor. And I'm not necessarily accusing you of anything, Gavin, but I am asking the question, are you copying me? Just asking questions. <laughs> I had no idea that episode existed until uh, you told me about it. Or I saw the tweet. 
And thanks for thanks for the tweet. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we like public call out here. I appreciate it. I think at the end you invited the Van Meter visitor to uh contact you. <laughs> yeah, I mean still I'm still open to it. I believe you are also if if the Van Meter visitor is listening, you would Gavin would oh. probably appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the Van Visitor or Van Meter Visitor likes our podcast more than the <laughs> podcast you put out. Uh, not to have words with the visitor about that. Yeah, I, I will say that the uh, Iowa off kilter episode about the Van Meter Visitor is a little bit more extensively researched oh, yeah. than my own Van Meter Visitor segment. So much better produced than our podcast. <laughs> No, it was good. There was. I'm some just kidding. Stuff. <laughs> just, and, uh, <laughs> just trying to make me sad. <laughs> there were a couple of things in there that you mentioned that I think we had in our maybe original cut. We, it was the long episode, and we oh. cut some stuff from. But I think you also might have read a different version of that uh, the original account, and you mentioned that it was published in a lot of different papers. I'd have to go back and look. I probably should have before <laughs> saying this on your podcast, but. <laughs> It seemed like there were little differences, like H.H. Phillips had sent his account to different papers and they may have like paraphrased a little differently. And the date was one day uh, different too. And uh, yeah, I remember I, I, I thought it was interesting. I remember I found like a really shitty scan of the 1903 article, but I don't remember the source. The Des Moines Daily News was the one that we were reading off of. Yeah. I mean, the, the most important thing to take away from that is that it definitely happened. The Van Meter Visitor is a real creature that visited (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's the conclusion of our episode too yeah yeah are there any other uh iowa cryptids that i should know about well you mentioned a few that we didn't talk about you it was like a what's like a blue turtle or i can't remember what that one was (laughs) you went with the hairy hairy man of female sex yes There was a third one, too. I forget. Was that the Lockridge Monster? Maybe, Maybe. yeah. I remember I found a a book that somebody wrote where he, like, had cryptids from all 50 states. And that's that's where I got the hairy woman man. There was some weird gender stuff going on with that one. Yeah. Which, I mean, the hairy creatures certainly should be free to, like, express whatever gender they absolutely yeah it's just really fun to read newspaper articles from that time one of you said something about just how everyone wrote like a their tabloid reporter (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it's it's half the fun of digging into that stuff yeah that's what all newspapers seem to have been yeah but now it's just tabloid about like horrible shit basically (laughs) 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 there's i mean the human interest is never that interesting (laughs) anymore as the Van Meter visitor. The visitor did recently uh, make it onto the Daily Mail, though, so it's not a loss. <laughs> oh. The... UK's finest uh, <laughs> rag? <laughs> yeah. Is I think they call it? <laughs> I think all of UK media is under that category of rag. I think that's, like, their whole apparatus, mm, right? Same as US. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, at least I know, but bigger... they're, like celebrity stuff is particularly toxic like <laughs> yeah they also have well i don't want to go down this <laughs> rabbit hole but they have different uh libel laws that are really right. interesting so it's oh kind yeah of a different media ecosystem there yeah wait i kind of do want to go down that rabbit hole they reported on the uh sex abuse happening at our high school that all three of us went to <laughs> Like multiple times. So many. There were four pedophiles like having sex with students within like five or six years. <laughs> we went to like pedophile high school. <laughs> Wait, what high school was that? Washington High School in Cedar Rapids. Okay. Yeah. That's we just... usually avoid this topic on the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh we're yeah. We're usually nervous well, it's, about but talking if about the it. Daily Mail has already broken the ground for us, then it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Too late at that point. Yeah. I have no problem discussing it, but like many of our listeners went to the same school as us and are oh, it's true. a little more sensitive <laughs> about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's fine though. Oh, did you want to go down the libel rabbit hole, or should we move on? No, let's move on. <laughs> okay. I don't know enough about that. I just read about it. Like, quite a while ago yeah uk media is like the only country's like media that i would say is worse than ours with any authority i'm sure a lot of places have pretty bad 
coverage. But as I was preparing uh, things to talk about with Gavin, I found an old article uh, at ABC News. This is from 2007. This is by Lindsay Hamilton. The headline <laughs> is, Iowans for Clinton? <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> and I've, I've got an excerpt here that I'm going to read. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> For Iowa State University student Gavin Aronson, that vote is all important. And this is a quote from Gavin. John Edwards voted for the war, but he's come out and repented more strongly, in my opinion, than Hillary Clinton ever has. He's, of course, talking about the Iraq war. Uh, Aronson is active in democratic politics, but said he is not planning on supporting Clinton. For now, he is leaning toward... Uh, Natalie Evan, do you want to guess who Gavin was planning to support in the 2008 Democratic <laughs> Caucus? Uh, well, I have it up in front of me. Oh, uh, that's so, but I agree with his choice. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> at least in retrospect, at the time, I I would have been I would have been a uh, Obama fan. I think is it Kucinich? You got the opposite. It. I you think. got it. Uh, yes, Gavin was planning to support Ohio Representative Dennis Kucinich. A candidate with a low profile, but a strong anti-war message. And then this part's not about Gavin, but I thought it was funny. The website Facebook is starting to see groups devoted to particular candidates. And Clinton has three Iowa groups with more than 50 members backing her. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That was 14 years ago. (laughs) The website Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. So that's uh, one of the first things that comes up if you Google Gavin. So unfortunate. I forgot that ABC News talked to me. I was a columnist for the Iowa State Daily, and luckily I got fired uh, before I could write too many really shitty columns for them. But I had one on Kucinich, and uh, I think it's you can find it if you really dug. But they changed our website and lost a bunch of the mm. stuff, thankfully. Also, <laughs> not that I would normally support something like that, but. I remember one of the comments, there's this guy, I think it was probably this guy, Steve Gregg. I don't know who he is, but I went to, I got my master's at Iowa State and no one actually did this, but I taught uh, a few introductory journalism courses. And I, one of the stories I suggested was just profile this guy who's been commenting on daily stories (laughs) for like like, decades, you know, like that's so amazing. Well, like when I interned at mother Jones, there was a, a, a person who was interning there too, who I think was from Yale. And she wrote this really funny story for her student paper. I think it was there and uh, a similar person who just always commented on everything and he told me that I should uh, like go back to my cram box and draw like pictures of dinosaurs <laughs> instead of right about he was just mad <laughs> he wanted the article <laughs> I don't know <laughs> That's such a creative idea. Yeah, I like news. Yeah, local news commenters are just like a very, very fun breed. <laughs> it doesn't go over well in the local paper, though. I don't think necessarily because they have, you know, I don't know. I just know I I have someone in my extended family who's a avid no- local news commenter who's been actually banned uh, from it from several sites at least. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we all know one of those people. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that uh, North Iowa Today has at least one article that's about specifically uh, Todd Blodgett's comments, news comments. But yeah, North Iowa know, Today is not exactly extended a, family like, member has actually been cited as like a reasonable Republican voter as well, <laughs> like literally no for way. the same oh, reason. Right. Yeah, I, I found that like later on. <laughs> oh man, more stuff we can't talk about. Other <laughs> Someone on deadline is just like fuck it. I'll look for like the first name I find yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> they're they're looking for middle Americans. They're just like there's a lady in Iowa. She comments a lot, and we need to hear from her. <laughs> like she, she needs to need to amplify her voice, center her voice. <laughs> her lived experience. Oh uh, uh, man, yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> pretty uh fash but <laughs> uh so i wanted to talk about the informer for probably most of this episode we've cited uh your work the work of other writers that you've uh published at the informer many times on the show so we are kind of indebted to you gavin for that that's why you felt forced to have me on <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, I just want to read a little bit from your uh, About Us section at the Informer website. Uh, don't read that. That's You don't want me to read it? You can. That's the one thing. <laughs> we like we put that on there when we first started and never looked at it again. Yeah, which it's been a while now, right? When did you start the website? Uh, I was just looking that up. January 2016, I think. Okay, so it's not super old. Uh, but, you know, just a basic rundown in case anyone listening to this is actually not, I don't even know what it says. not familiar with it. Uh, it says the Iowa Informer is an independent alternative media source for Iowa politics, news, cultural coverage and creative content. That's pretty much how I describe this show. Also, by the way, uh, <laughs> we are devoted to Iowa and Iowans as our major subject. And we find stories and perspectives that have been missed or overlooked by other outlets. OK, well, that's OK. <laughs> it's yeah, not I, I don't it's fair think it's embarrassing or anything uh the informer is based in Ames, and we have a particular focus on our home community and the Ames stories that make an impact statewide so you already mentioned you started the website in 2016 and i wrote a very very open-ended question to ask you how and why did you start the iowa informer um i forgot where to start with this i was in well for my internships i had in new york and then uh, San Francisco Bay Area for a while, and then I went to Washington D.C. to like on a contract uh, basis for Mother Jones. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that was ending, I was figuring I just was going to go back to Iowa. And I'd had this idea partially because some people I did that zine with in college, the Ames Progressive. I kind of wanted to just do my own thing again, mm-hmm. and which I didn't right away. But I came back to Iowa and. Ended up getting a job at the Tribune because the editor, Alexandra Hain, at the time, who just by chance ended up leaving right after I finally got the job, but she was always trying to get me to come back and mm-hmm. do some local reporting and it just lined up finally. So I did that for a couple of years, but I wanted to get out of it. It was just, you know, the news industry, the, you know, it wasn't like a thriving newspaper. Mm, sure. Yeah. I had editorial disagreements. Um, pay was really low. Obviously, it was becoming kind of frustrating. And one of my like my my mentor in college, a professor, a photojournalism professor named Denny Chamberlain. Uh, I ran into them at a, a farmer's market in downtown. I lived on Main Street for quite a while in Ames, and mm-hmm. they suggested kind of just spur of the moment you could go to grad school here. And so the Iowa Informer came about because I decided to do that. And it was they have a kind of alternate thesis you can do, which is called a creative component. So I started to write a, a paper, but it was largely my thesis. We call it your thesis committee. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, the panel, yeah. whatever. <laughs> like I, I showed the I went former to them, so that's how it uh, started. So okay, so the, the that started in grad school. The informer began as like your master's thesis. Yeah, but like I went to that program with the purpose of starting that mm-hmm. as just like an avenue to actually be able to finally do it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is something you're able to get into, but what kind of editorial disagreements did you have at the Tribune? <laughs> uh, I mean, I could get into that. I've already burned that bridge. Pretty <laughs> yeah, just digging but... dirt again. They wanted you to use a passive voice too many times. <laughs> no, I mean, he's not a bad guy. Michael Crome, I just, he's, mm-hmm. he left, he was really dispassionate about the job. I mean, who could blame him? It's you know, the state of the industry and everything. And um, there's a few things that we do not see eye to eye on. And uh, I didn't think he, well, I don't want, I don't really want to get into it. <laughs> I don't need to do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so earlier this week, uh, when Natalie and I were talking to you on Twitter, Gavin, you told us that your work for the informer is often very draining and takes up all of your time when you are like actively working on something. Uh, yeah. has, has it been like that, like since from the start or? Is that like a recent development? It's pretty much been that way for quite a while. It's it was it's a passion project, obviously. Right. And so it's funny when I get some or we get some comment on our story about how they're just doing this for clickbait because they're gonna make a bunch of advertising <laughs> revenue. It's yeah. like yeah, I mean our I get to show them my 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 tax uh <laughs> tax information like we're not making money on this time. <laughs> But it's, I, I think it's that, you know, I started it individually and I really had an unrealistic expectation of what I could do with it. You know, I could be the, the reporter, the editor, the everything else, handle the finances. And then for some reason, I even on top of that, I can't remember a couple of years in, maybe I had the, you know, great idea to start a print publication 
that was originally going to be monthly. And then I very quickly changed that to every other month and then quarterly. And then I think <laughs> I made it through five ups or issues. I mean, and then just said, I can't do it. I think I owe a couple of subscribers some refunds. For that, probably. <laughs> but it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't make your, like, even if it's something you love to do, you can't make it your entire life. And it was just, I mean, it's still hard to be on all the time, you know, and be consistent. And you need the, one of the struggles is I wanted to create this or start this to um, do long form journalism, do stuff that didn't exist in Iowa, which I think we've definitely done some of that. But then, you know, I try to do just quick hit, you know, blog posts and stuff like that, just to keep the daily page views and stuff like that, you know, consistent Mm -hmm. and which is just really draining because even that takes a bit of time and you don't want it to be just complete garbage. Yeah. (laughs) And I have a tendency to just, I'll read something and I'll immediately be interested in learning a different angle and I'll, you know, it takes me longer than I, you can't really plan for, I'm going to, it's harder to plan for, okay, I have a deadline of like 8 PM, but the person I'm answering to is myself. So if right, I miss yeah. it, then what's the consequence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to trick yourself when, you know, you, you are the boss of yourself. Yeah. And doing that over. So I've been doing this for five years now, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it, I haven't written anything for a few months now and I'm figuring out kind of if I want to restructure it or, you know, what to do, I'm not going to end it, but yeah, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about that. I don't have any, uh, I didn't prepare for this question, even though we talked about it, but <laughs> that's fine. It does take a toll like on your you know, personal life when you're working, especially during the pandemic, it became even, it gave me a couple extra hours in the day. Cause I was commuting from Ames to Des Moines and back for my mm-hmm. day job. Mm-hmm. And, but on the other side that gives you, you know, a delineation between your work life and your hobbies and your personal life beyond that. Um, and it was just, you know, okay, done it with work. Then I'm still at the same desk and working on this other thing and it just became kind of uh that was tough too but just before this podcast i got a someone texted me with a news tip and i wasn't sure what to do with so you you can't really plan for it either so that's something that is just part of the nature of you know journalism but yeah so it's hard to keep up you mentioned you have a day job that is something i was kind of curious about because uh you said you said your work for the tribune was a pretty poorly paid uh, and that was part of your reason for wanting to leave but the informer is also not like a cash cow for you right (laughs) (laughs) i've i've made a few hundred dollars in google ads that quickly you know vanished Uh, (laughs) how do you fix journal i mean i know you you, (laughs) no one has the answer for that but it's just like it's so fucking sad (laughs) like there's the one side of it where it's like the corporate side which is just being just watered down to shit and just like lowest common denominator bottom dollar sensationalism shit or whatever and then there's like the independent but it's all like the Substack shit where it's like all the same people who just have voices mostly just for saying like ridiculous shit you know or like not always i mean there's a lot of good journalism being funded but i don't know that's the answer you have to be become really controversial and start a Substack. <laughs> yeah. That'll, yeah. yeah that'll fund the informer for years yeah and i, I have been, become more like that with uh <laughs> That's another thing where there, it's not necessarily, a, a, I don't know if there's been a consistent kind of voice throughout uh, the existence of the informer, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, before Trump became president, that kind of stuff was easier to just laugh off a little bit. And, you know, it really is sad what's happening to this state and just the the proliferation of conspiracies, and uh, which, of course, I've written about mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, so I've become more uh, unfiltered than I even had been before. So maybe maybe that's the direction I'm headed to like a subscription. <laughs> I think that's the way it needs to go is like just drop like the pretense of objectivity. <laughs> like everyone has a perspective. It's not like I don't know, people are like searching for like one media source that will tell them the right way to think or whatever. And it's like everyone has a different perspective and obviously there there's incentive for them to publish certain things. That's CNN, right? They're the ones. <laughs> the one objective news source. Well, I mean, impartiality is its own kind of bias. Like this idea that you can somehow be bipartisan or get two sides or yeah. like, you know, that that's its own kind of ideology that I would personally reject. And that's what I like about the informer. Right. Yeah. Well, the idea of media objectivity is interesting, too, because we we're just talking about the old articles like the Van Meter Visitor and how, right. you know, sensationalized that was. And people... 
media literacy is really poor in this country. It's something that I don't have a good like structured plan in my head about. But I think that if media literacy was taught as a course in you know, K through 12, um, if people just understood basic, like the functioning of a newsroom and how stories go from start to finish and how all these, you know, you see all these comments, I'm sure they would still happen, but like with people who just fundamentally understand, misunderstand the nature of how, you know, specific stories framed or details in the story are. And they, you know, of course, assume all these things that aren't true, that it fit their, you know, yeah. their own biases. It's interesting to me with like some of the reporting that you've done specifically about how like when it's not an independent media outlet, people don't understand that like police stories are reported entirely from press releases that come from police departments and they're just reprinted verbatim. And I think lots of people like don't understand what the sources actually are and they think people are doing an investigative reporting for like, you know, local news when a lot of times it's like the AP or stuff that comes straight from the police department and that is treated as like an objective source. Mm-hmm. Also reminds me of Facebook commenters who like KCCI will have a wire story from CNN and they'll be like, KCCI, you're fucking reporting so biased. It's like not even their story. It's just something they post yeah. to try to boost their traffic. <laughs> But yeah, and that's, it's so, it's so counter to why I think definitely myself and I think most people who really want to be good journalists, why they're interested in getting into the industry or whatever to begin with is, you know, the, I meant to bring this up, but they're um, the association for alternative news weeklies. Uh, They changed their website, but they had a good kind of bullet point thing. I used to refer to about, you know, their, the tenants of good, like, you know, independent alternative media is, you know, things like, I guess, old adages, like speak truth to power and, you know, provide a voice for the voiceless and, you know, speak with, from a point of authority, you don't have to be, um, you can have a voice in the story. Mm-hmm. And right. that's always been the kind of journalism that I've been interested in gravitating toward because you can drop the pretense and just, you know, try to tell it like it is, at least from the perspective you gain from researching and reporting the story. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I don't know if KCCI reporters realize, you know, I'd be, you know, maybe curious to get more of a sense of how they think of their own, you know, function within the community. But, you know, I don't know if they realize how much power they have and how negative it is when you even just posting like a, a mugshot with, you know, some person who's not in the public eye in any way, you know, just the, the what people are going to immediately believe about this person who might be totally innocent. Yep. And you Google their name, you know, and, you know, here they are coming up as some whatever a suspect exploitation i mean yeah very much so i had the weirdest experience a couple years ago when i worked at um shan sharenthood and (laughs) um there was a piece of reporting that was a like a picture of a man and it was like um inmate throws hiv positive urine on um like a a guard or whatever. And I just like lost my mind because obviously, first of all, there's no reason that this is a public interest story. And second mm-hmm. of all, HIV can't be transferred through urine. And it's really important that we don't put out misinformation about HIV transmission. Yeah. And so I went and I called my local paper, which was the Gazette at the time. And they were like, oh, we're sorry, we'll take it down. <laughs> Um, and so then I noticed it was picked up by the register and they were like, oh, I'm sorry, we'll take it down. And then I figured out what the AP was. <laughs> and then it was everywhere. So it's literally, and I'm like, yeah, it was like, it. this was like four years ago. And I felt like I was an intelligent media consumer and like, you know, I understood corporate media or whatever. And then when you like really try to dive in and like correct the record on stuff like that, you realize all of a sudden it's in Ohio, all of a sudden it's everywhere. And now... Like by the time it's been released into the ecosystem, it's too late and there's nothing you can do. And so I think people don't understand that at all. I remember that story. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, I was enraged. When there's stuff to you, even if you do issue corrections, you know, the number of people who read that are just going to be a, you know, way, way yeah. smaller than the people who read the original story. So, yep. It's really shocking that that made it past like anyone's desk. Like, shouldn't everyone know that you can't get hiv through p well yeah like why wouldn't that be the first thing that an editor asks it's like yeah. wait like is this story fundamentally flawed you know like right. the premise yeah. of it it's like a one of the first questions that should be 
I mean, yeah. whether or not we need to know that, like, yeah, notwithstanding, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> are, is this literally true? Like, yeah, the headline. Is, can urine be HIV positive ever at all? Is that even... <laughs> It's one of the one of the things that I learned in health class as a young man is how <laughs> how these things are actually transmitted and yeah not through that bodily fluid. Yeah, they do teach that in the, you know, like in school. Like that was one of those things. People still, yeah, and then people compare that to COVID as well. Like it's like you realize it's like it's the air, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. COVID can't be transmitted through urine either, right? Uh, I don't know. I think they found it in feces, but maybe really? not urine. Yeah, I, I haven't seen. It can't the tests be sexually transmitted. I mean, besides the fact that you're close to someone, but right. so I would assume probably not urine. It's but. not the sex part that's transmitting it in that case, right? Yeah. So you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can do. Us. You can have. <laughs> if you have COVID, you can have sex, but you can't kiss, right? It makes me think of some right wing person. Like, what if sense? someone has a heart attack and dies when they have sex and they're tested and they're COVID positive? Is that a COVID death or is that a, is that a heart yeah. attack? They're adding these to the numbers to inflate them. Yeah. It's not the COVID that killed them, it's having sex that, before marriage that killed them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you've been doing this for about five years. You say that it's, uh, it's pretty all consuming because, like, the whole operation is your responsibility. So what have you learned? Uh, what have you done over the past few years to avoid like burning out completely on this project? Uh, not enough. I just take breaks from it. You know, I'll get like, I just mentioned, I gotta, I gotta figure out what to do. I got a, a, some stories that are on the back burn. <laughs> that, that one interview I kept editing of yours. <laughs> I wondered if I'm that sorry about up. that. I never did follow up on that. It's just, it, it's just like, <laughs> That became a running I, joke to myself. Just like someday. That was like right know, when we started this podcast. By the time I got back to it, he was. You mentioned this on one of your recent episodes uh, where you're talking about that columnist who uh, retired. Uh, oh, Clayson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Curtinitis. By the time I was getting back to it, he's no longer relevant. Yeah, he hasn't written <laughs> oh, enough. Yeah. Like, thankfully, the budgets are finally. <laughs> Still has the world's saddest Twitter. Oh, <laughs> man. It's pathetic. Poor guy. <laughs> Cheer up, Joel. Uh, you did write about Curtinitis, though, for The Informer, right? Yeah. And he read it, right? He got angry about it. Yeah. his I think his wife or one of their friends posted on Facebook in defense of him, and they were like in the comments. I mean, it's stupid to even pay attention to that, I guess. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the stuff he was writing was really offensive. It was just yeah. so far off, like what was factually correct and it was racist and it was just really bad yeah so extreme and they like would say that they were providing balance on the other side with the like most milk toast liberal garbage and it's like that okay no you need to publish a communist if you're gonna publish him <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah it's just so skewed and the bar's so low and conservative discourse and i mean he's there's better people out there than oh yeah Bill Curtin and I to speak intelligently for conservatives. <laughs> Not an original thought. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I remember your piece was uh, questioning why the Des Moines Register like pays him to write at all. Yeah. So it was really yeah the target the intended target of that was the, the Register, and I have no idea how much you know influence I have over things like that. But I mean, I know people read it, and I follow Register reporters. They follow me, and right. You are a known yeah, agent. For yeah. Better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> are you familiar with Todd Blodgett? Yeah, vaguely. He's okay. uh they he also has had columns published in the register. Right? He has, yes. Yeah. Actually I think when I wrote that article, someone told me like why uh, asked me like why did you focus on Jill Curtinitis when you should have been focusing on <laughs> Todd Blodgett? I well, <laughs> I mean there's yeah, there's multiple potential but, targets there, but uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blodgett has been particularly uh bad in in my experience another thing uh can i go back to that subject of uh why it's hard to do independent media i have a couple of tabs open here oh, that yeah. i want to <laughs> legal legal threats that the informers received have been oh yeah yeah interesting Ooh. and of course stressful as fuck because you know i'm <laughs> Just You're like, you know, self-funding it. and Right. I remember so, when we had Aaron on to talk about the uh, Bruce Girlman 
Is that the guy's name? Yeah. Yeah. Gurleman, yeah. Gurleman, yeah. I remember that there were some threats there. So that was the third legal threat that the informer got. Yeah. The first one was Steve King's cousin, Laura Van Dusen. This was a a legitimate complaint. Um, (laughs) But she she sent me an invoice. So I don't know if you've seen the um, family ancestry website of Steve King and the Van Dusen's. I don't remember. Um, I linked to it in some of the articles i wrote when i went on my steve king uh, <laughs> obsession it's like five months yeah gavin has an extensive uh steve king uh series on the informer that's something i identify with so deeply <laughs> that's how i became obsessed with joel cartonitis in the first place <laughs> to just just get fascinated by one of these fucking freaks and then just not be able to get out of the rabbit hole <laughs> yeah yeah it's hard we had a well in the, the I think the second to last print edition of the informer that I had. I can no longer uh, distribute it for the agreement that I reached with us. <laughs> but it was really wow. cool because his names uh, or guy who used to live names. He did the cartoons that wish I were published online. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, Steve King on both sides. But I did it so like I flipped it to give myself even more like things I didn't have time to do. But I did like a where you like flip it over so it's like half of it's like the other like upside down. Okay, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like yeah. issue four, issue four and a half. But I I lifted a photo from a family reunion. <laughs> And published oh. it. Steve King and his brother, who I wrote about in this article, because he was sharing some pretty gross stuff about uh, somebody. It was a, a a a black man or you know teenager who had been killed by police, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say which one because I can't remember which case it was. But yeah. uh, actually, it was Trayvon Martin. I'm pretty sure, which was not police, but it wasn't. But it's but, definitely part of that world. Yeah. Police neighborhood watchman, yeah, somewhere I guess. Um, but, he felt like he was a cop, so right, yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so she sent me an invoice for I got it up right here. I probably shouldn't be talking about this, but it's resolved. <laughs> um, $4,500. I'm like, shit, what? <laughs> and so she had this arbitrary thing, but it was my charge $50 per day for each day this photo's been on the website. I was like, <laughs> so I, I found a lawyer. Uh, who said that you know it'd be expensive, but he really hated Steve King, so he'd probably give me a discount if I needed to take this to court. But then I called that, or I I messaged the the photojournalism professor, uh, Danny Chamberlain, right? And they said, uh, you know, I'm not really on your side here. Like, you know, I mean, as a photojournalist, you know, they've had their work ripped off a lot. Sure, it's like, okay, yeah. okay, I know I don't have a case to pursue here. It was a stupid, um, like uh, I was too liberal with my uh, fair use rationale when I published that. Right. So I took it down. And then per this lawyer's advice, I said, okay, I will pay you $50 a day for each day I spent on the website since you made me aware of this, you know, violation. Sure. Mm-hmm. I paid her. I think I sent her a check for 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I got the upper hand. It's like, oh, that's pretty clever. Like, you know, this lawyer, <laughs> lawyer endorsed. Yeah. And then in my, you know, <laughs> stupidity i didn't look to see if it was published anywhere else and i forgot that i published that same image elsewhere on the site hmm. and she found it and so i ended up paying her like 500 bucks because it's like right, you got me there was, yeah <laughs> the second lawsuit threat was not serious it was from a, a certain medical marijuana activist whose name i don't really want to mention because he's got <laughs> mental health uh, issues but if you're familiar with that community at all i'm sure you know who i'm talking about hmm. yeah so i just kind of let that one <laughs> go but then the the next one was uh the yeah the jethro's piece and this was you know obviously the most serious because these people have a lot of money and right. it was focused on cynthia Foder's role in the story not bruce gurleman's but when his uh is that his uh partner romantic yeah partner yeah right. kcci kcci employee yeah on-air personality yeah I get a call from this lawyer, maybe an email first. I looked him up around, it was all within pretty close period of time. I probably shouldn't be talking about this either. I don't know. But <laughs> so I Google him, and the first thing that comes up is an ESPN.com feature, like magazine feature on this guy, Charlie Whitmack. And it's titled The Man Obsessed. And it says, uh, Charlie Whitmack wanted to conquer the world, even if it killed him. His family loved him and just wanted him home. And it talks about how he climbed Everest and he made some. <laughs> There's some record. I don't have it up, but he was the first eye I wanted to do something involving, you know, triathlons or climbing Everest. And I'm like, oh man, like who am I up against here? <laughs> and he was friends with like a cousin or somebody like a Facebook friend of mine. And so there was that like too, but the complaint I knew was, it was without merit and I looked into it and then got lawyer's advice 
But the thing with that is anyone can sue you for anything. Right. Yep. And right. even the lawyer was basically like, yeah, this is not going to go anywhere in court, but they could still sue. And uh, I'm pretty sure that, you know, you could get this dismissed for, you know, like five grand or under. Jeez. <laughs> and oh my God. I had a little bit of money saved up and I, you know, it's hard because I almost cut that part from the story, but you know, it kind of cuts against like the whole uh, like philosophy of the informer. Right. That's your purpose. So mm-hmm. I ended up just saying, you know, it was premised on the fact that Aaron had reached out to the, the I think, station president of the KCCI. And so the allegation was that we were trying to get her fired by requesting comment, not just from her, but from, you know, her boss at KCCI. Yeah. And she hasn't been fired. And, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, there's nothing to it. So I ended up running it but that i mean that's nerve-wracking yeah for even sure. though you know you're gonna you would win that in court and you know i could have turned into a fundraising campaign or something <laughs> but it's still you know yeah um, like you're gonna win in court but it's just all dependent on whether they have the like balls to like continue pursuing it to fuck you over because that's like perfectly within their rights <laughs> yeah and and there's a big case when i was at mother jones there was a i wasn't involved in this but in uh montana or something there was idaho i think there's a, a million billionaire, I want to say, I don't remember the details exactly, but there was a lawsuit and part of it was uh, one fact that was wrong in this article and Mother Jones promptly corrected it and it was just a, a frivolous lawsuit, but they had, they tried to get the reporter to come to Idaho, I think it was <laughs> to be in court and yeah. there's a lot of corruption with this whole thing, like the judge was involved in Republican politics and so was the... the um person profiled in this article and i mean it cost them like a million bucks or something i mean right yeah that's the problem like even if it has no merit yeah. they have the resources to just make your life that's the whole thing with like the peter, peter teal and gawker too. right <laughs> oh mean, yeah. yeah not that there yeah. there probably was a case there granted but <laughs> he put you know a billion his billionaire <laughs> finger on the scale yeah, that's so. really fucked up. Gawker kind of brought that on themselves, I guess. Yeah, but they it did. It's a really fucked up situation. Like, and he didn't identify who he was either at first. It was this right. unknown funder, and yeah, it's really all that's very. Uh, regardless of the you know what Gawker did in that particular situation or what anyone does in a particular situation, it's it's all you know obviously very troubling. You know, for journalism as a whole, and, yeah, an anonymous yeah. billionaire can just dictate like yeah. what what a media source you know, is able to or at least, do. Yeah, do exert as much force as possible in the process. Yeah, we're not going to get any stronger media laws in Iowa anytime soon with the, the no. makeup of the legislature. There's no anti-slap <laughs> law in Iowa. I can't remember how many states they have those in, but uh, was that uh, an acronym for a lawsuit against public participation? Yeah, I'm not Some states, familiar with the concept. Yeah, have stronger protections, and that's I mean pretty important. And yeah, there's that's not something that's in Iowa. Mm-hmm. They like to arrest the journalists here. Well, I guess it doesn't <laughs> happen that much. Yeah, but <laughs> there was a very prominent case recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next thing I was going to ask you about, Gavin, is you seem to have an ongoing feud with the staff of the Steve Deese show on Blaze Media. Uh, what's <laughs> that's the, incredible. <laughs> what's the deal with Steve Deese, and why do his underlings hate you? I think it's Steve Deese. Well, um, I've not never, that I care. I never listened to his program or anything, yeah. so I don't know how to say his name. I unfortunately, I, I have. <laughs> that's why I found that out. But yeah, I mean, Twitter is really kind of a, a time suck, and I probably shouldn't do stuff like that so much. It's <laughs> oh, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know it is, and that's why I do. I don't know. They're just really awful people. <laughs> they're very they're nasty, especially to you know you know disadvantaged groups and. It's not the best. I don't know if it's the best word, but you know, like I mean, they, they are very cruel towards like the trans community. Yeah, and um, they're just they spread all this information, disinformation, misinformation about you know COVID and mm. prop up people like Alex Berenson, and their reach is pretty large too. And I don't know. I wrote the article about Steve Dace back in March 2020, April, oh, May I don't think 2020. I read that one, so I didn't. I didn't know yeah, all the background. Probably May. It was uh, before the. We're too far into the pandemic, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah. So part of the reason is I just, I'll just respond to a comment with that article just to try to see if anyone else will read it. It's kind of just self-serving. <laughs> yeah, sure. Get a few clicks. Uh, yeah. Uh, this guy, is, is he from Des Moines? 
Yeah, I'd never heard of it, but yeah, he's. He used to be a, he used to be a sports reporter for the Register, I think, and mm. Todd Erzin, his co-host, was uh was he, he had a couple different beats of the Register, and he was trolling the Register throughout the Andrea Sahari trial because he also was arrested for trespassing. I think during he's covering a dam that burst or something like that, and he claimed the Register didn't you know, adequately back him, and he. I can't remember if he got convicted of anything or not, but wow! Isn't there some other? Oh, Simon Conway is who I'm thinking of. There's another uh, right wing radio host in uh, yeah, yeah. I started working on a piece about him that I I, I have all kinds of unfinished <laughs> documents in my Google Drive, but he's got some interesting stuff with uh, uh, the what's it the USS Battleship Foundation in California, some ship from Iowa, and then this I can't remember the name of it. Some like. Dogs for Vets organization that's pretty shady. Oh, I see. Dogs for Vets. That's not what it's called. It's a, um, no, I know, but just like the concept sounds like a, a parody of itself. I think it's pretty fucked up what he does with that. He props himself up as this big like advocate champion of military veterans. He has this very right wing you know, personality and he spread all kinds of, you know, bullshit about election mm-hmm. fraud and mm. all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. The most jingoistic yeah. people never actually join the military. They just cheer from the sidelines. <laughs> it seems like. Yeah. Nor do they care when anyone comes back, what their lives are like. Right. Yeah. But they don't care about anyone anyway. <laughs> but I guess it is important. I could plug my podcast again. The first episode was about Norman Baker in the Cedar County Cow War of 1931, mm-hmm. which is about a, a charlatan who, who was really big in Muscatine back in the early unregulated days of radio. And I'd never heard of him before. Uh, yeah, I was wondering this, yeah, how, so. how the uh, Norman Baker Cow War story came to your attention. Kelly, Kelly Michael Bevins, co-host of the podcast, mm-hmm. he uh, found that one online. And uh, yeah, we just started looking into it. And it turned out to be a pretty good episode thematically for the first one because we published it not too long after the election. Right. And of course, that's still going to be a, an issue for <laughs> foreseeable future as <laughs> well, I guess. Yeah. Do you have any like uh, future episodes planned out for that show yet? Tentatively. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a list of, uh, I think, eight, well, including the two we've published for the uh, like a complete season one. Oh, nice. Anything that you feel comfortable uh, revealing as an exclusive factoid on Rock Hard Caucus? <laughs> it would be exclusive, I guess. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, is it Anna Eklund? Yeah. Anna, he's in here. Um, Anna <laughs> Eklund, there's another kind of horror, creepy kind of thing, uh, the exorcism of Anna Eklund mm. in, I believe, early yes. 20th century. Uh, there's a hobo festival you probably heard of in Britt, Iowa, that's been going on for over a century. There's some interesting archival stuff on that. We were poking around with the... Uh, um, the uh, the bombing of the, the the Black Panthers headquarters in Des Moines in the sixties, I think. How do I not know about that? <laughs> I hope I have that detail right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's something we haven't looked into yet, but uh, very much. Yeah, that's what comes to mind immediately. There's another one that I don't want to get into yet because it's uh, very tentative and it involves some like TM people in Fairfield. <laughs> oh yeah, we that would be a good story. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, we might we might look into that at some point. Yeah, that would be huge. Like of... that, that would be hard to do one. There's episode, also the Shiloh thing in uh, Kelowna. Yeah, I, if you don't know about of... that, I would uh, I would love for you guys to dig into that. It's what, kind of like what's a, that one? It's like a religious cult in like Kelowna, Iowa, southeastern mm-hmm. Iowa. It's called Shiloh. Okay. They are now they have defunct. like a complex. Oh yeah, I think they're like yeah, pretty much. The city owns their land now but uh okay they they had like a work camp in california and stuff too there's, there's a lot of uh <laughs> weird stuff like under the surface with shiloh i'll have to check that out yeah my wife is from Kelowna, so i could maybe dig up some sources for you if okay if you need yeah well i'm always <laughs> trying to collect uh stuff in my google docs there's also a lot of other, uh, I think the Van Meter, Van Meter Visitor is the most entertaining paranormal cryptic kind of thing in Iowa, but there's a lot of other stuff there too. We might do like a compilation yeah. episode at some point of just all the different, you mentioned a lot of them on that Halloween yeah, uh, there, episode. There doesn't seem to be like a lot of uh, documentation on Iowa's, on cryptozoology in the state of Iowa. So it's kind <laughs> of a kind of an underdeveloped field. Maybe we could work on that it's fun to do stuff like that too really because it's just uh 
<laughs> all the political news is so negative and depressing and it's nice to just like step away from that for a little bit just work on like a, yeah. a creative project where yeah i guess my examples weren't quite as they're still pretty depressing <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but but there's like a lot of uh precedent for that like sort of like true not even true crime but just sort of like interesting people or interesting movements or you know there's a lot of small town iowa stuff that could be covered in an interesting way we were originally going to do a true crime pro- podcast and we might do an episode or two on that at some point um we actually traveled to louisiana a year and a half or a year ago now year two years ago <laughs> huh long time ago. yeah long time ago um <laughs> yeah there's a book called murder in the bayou it's about the murders of eight uh uh, young women within a fairly short period of time and all their bodies were all found in a within a i don't know five mile radius or something of this town in uh southern louisiana jennings louisiana hmm. and that's a whole nother story we actually there's a couple of documentaries that came out as we were working on it and uh the spinoff channel of the discovery channel contacted us to pitch us maybe we could uh, create a, a podcast for them and that wow. didn't uh, pan out but that was pretty interesting just going from just starting and you know, never having done a podcast before to getting, getting a something like that reach out discovery plus streaming series it was like investigation discovery or something like that. oh yeah 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 that's so cool i think they do like a lot of uh true crime on there yeah and yeah they're i don't know if they actually did this but they're gonna launch a, a podcast companion on their website or something i never did go back and look to see if that ever happened nice uh well now that you you brought this up gavin that you have like a collection of unfinished work in your google documents uh is there anything in there that you don't plan on finishing that you could just like reveal to us because i don't want to scoop anything that you're like actually going to publish on the informer but if you've got like secret documents that you could <laughs> reveal and have like an explosive moment on the podcast it was that would aliens be great. it was aliens <laughs> that was yeah. my thought listening to the podcast because like the government <laughs> says there's aliens now they're not even denying it anymore oh you're talking about the visitor specifically being an yes alien. yes yeah. we actually have the, the carcass of the visitor in a box in the, in the closet <laughs> yeah. here um, there's probably stuff I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> there's one thing that I do, I would like to write about sometime, but it's, uh, I could speak about it vaguely. There's a, a local central Iowa connection to someone who died doing relief work overseas mm-hmm. and uh, it became a big part of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Oh, and like actually, I don't want to say too much about this. I've never talked to the, the family about this mm-hmm. and I don't know if they'd be comfortable or not, but eventually I'd like to, to reach out and kind of like tell this person's story. Um, but you know, the danger in that is, you know, if I do that, then yeah. those same people are probably going to like go after the family again. But right. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many, you know, conspiracies and stuff that are, this is part of like the it tied into this Clinton foundation thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize that that stuff has a very like big impact on people's lives, and that there's somebody in like you know Central Iowa that you know was caught up in all of this. So that's something that comes to mind. It's not answering your question, but yeah, that is something that kind of makes me feel bad sometimes because like conspiracy theory, it's not actually harmless. Even though I really enjoy like learning about it, <laughs> there are people who like suffer consequences from this stuff. Yeah, and maybe well, you're not, not a like pizza the... hater either. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not the one like inflicting the harm, but I. But like <laughs> laughing at it, right. or like you know, in any way amplifying it by even going in and making fun of them. I mean, it has real consequences, even if it's so fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's easy to lose sight of that. I mean, I'm sure I'm I've been guilty of stuff like that, all, like all the time, just with immediacy of picking your phone, just like tweeting something stupid or whatever. But <laughs> it's good to yeah keep in mind, and that's one thing I'd really like to to do. I still am gonna do like long form journalism. I just uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what my next uh, big thing will be or when it will be. Mm-hmm. I think you do a valuable service, especially uh, recently with a lot of the reporting on like the Black Lives Matter protests and uh, just, yeah, in general. Yeah, Natalie, Natalie brought up the cops and like, it seems like for a while the informer was the only media source that wasn't just reprinting police yep, uh, press that's statements. that's why I so. brought it up is like, it <laughs> yeah. is a, like a, a huge testament to like how good you are because that's what I thought of. It's like, 
I don't see any other media outlets that aren't just doing that. So Mm -hmm. that's what brought that to my mind in the first place is that um, it's the only reporting I've seen that doesn't involve like kind of the same language from press releases and that is like clearly actually investigating. So I'm I'm glad you guys brought that up again. Actually, I'm pretty scatterbrained, but I I do want to make a point for, you know, we end this of saying that one of the the main things I really wanted to do when I started the informer was provide an outlet, not just for like amplify my own voice or something, you know, like that, but Mm -hmm. to even more so just have something where to be collaborative and to allow other people to have an outlet where they can publish their work where they wouldn't otherwise you know, be able to. And so a few of the big thing, one of the, the first thing that was blew up kind of big was uh, Barbara Fisher. She's an Ames resident who you might have seen on episode two of the Tiger King documentary on Netflix. <laughs> and that was basically because we published that article on the informer where she talked about her experience and compared it to like extremist indoctrination. Right. It's really good. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, um, but yeah, I was getting uh, uh, like calls and texts from uh, like filmmakers and producers. And I, I, I think probably the people who were behind Tiger King, I can't remember who they, <laughs> who they were anymore, but uh, I was forwarded to her. Um, so that's really cool. Whatever you think of uh, the document, the documentary, but, uh, and then yeah, Aaron's stuff, uh, especially the, the Abdi Sharif piece also, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, I think that really is a, a big indictment on just the lack of scrutiny, lack of accountability that the local police have. And yeah, I'm really happy that, I mean, happy is not the best word, but (laughs) proud that, you know, I was in a position and, you know, Aaron believed in the project, the extent that he did to write that and to get that published, because even if it didn't, you know, reach the, it reached a pretty, you know, wide audience, our readership's pretty niche, but it's just important to have on the record, you know, for, it's like a historical record, you know, and just to have it out there so people can, you know, know these things. So Right. No one else is doing it, so... Yeah, (laughs) there really is a huge vacuum of, you know, news. I mean, it's dominated by all of the local media networks. Well, I would hope that uh, people listening to this who are not already familiar with your work at The Informer would be compelled to become more familiar with it. And uh, is there any way you would like them to support your work? You know, reading the work, uh, you know, simple things are really great, you know, just uh, you know, giving feedback, you know, sharing articles. Uh, um, we have a, a PayPal subscription thing. That's been one of the things that I've always uh, put on the back burner, which is, you know, probably shouldn't <laughs> have uh, with funding. Um, that's obviously helpful for, uh, especially to be able to pay uh, freelancers. And like I said, I haven't published a lot of stuff myself lately just because I'm, well, for various reasons, but um, I, still i'm interested in story tips i still am sitting on a bunch that i intended have intended to look into that you know not all of them you know i've been able to get to but it's still good to get those and yeah you know i mean if you haven't heard of it before check it out uh, see what you think um you know drop us a line mm-hmm. iowainformer.com it's where rock hard caucus gets most of its news so <laughs> <laughs> everyone should check it out uh and yeah money uh would enable gavin to like pay other people to do work so that he's not the only one doing all the work so if you yeah, are it's... a rich person listening uh gavin could use some of your wealth so that's all i need one rich benefactor there's always <laughs> stories there's always stories <laughs> that's how we're gonna fix news actually is just like appealing to rich people right that's how <laughs> yeah can... <laughs> that's right that seems to be one of the current models i hope it <laughs> yeah. is a better <laughs> path forward sometime but yeah yeah and uh iowa off kilter the new podcast uh it also has a patreon and it's pretty well produced so i think uh they could probably put your money to good use over there as well any other uh closing thoughts from you gavin no thanks for having me on thanks for uh talking about the projects i've been working on and I hope to uh, keep them going uh, one way or another. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for uh, spending an hour with us tonight. Uh, it was nice talking to you. We've never like spoken to each other. We've, no. we've only interacted through text medium. So it was, it was nice to have like a, a little bit more of a human interaction with you. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. And uh, I love your guys podcast. So uh, I've listened to you. I don't know, a few episodes now, so it's, <laughs> I'm getting caught up. <laughs> well, thank you. It's it's always nice to talk to the fans. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
And uh, listeners, uh, if you haven't, go check out our website too. It's rockhardcock.us. But it's spelled like caucus, but with a dot before the U.S. It's not dirty, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's where we'll leave it. Thanks again, Gavin. Thanks, Evan and Natalie. Thanks. And thank you, listeners. Good night. Moon is rock on the mountain. The lunatics have taken over this also told natalie and i that you have been working on a piece about uh <laughs> i hope he doesn't listen to this because i have not reached out to him yet but oh okay if you don't want yeah, me to I'm not reveal that then we can cut that ready but... to talk about that i don't think